0: Hello, and welcome to Candy Jail. I'm Marcus Puskar. Last week on the show, we discussed the ways that overproduction manifests in the for-profit food system. That is, it isn't an accident, and it isn't temporary. It's a feature, not a bug. We discussed how billions of pounds of excess food have to remain concealed and hidden. By making sure that excess is hidden, often in ways designed to belittle and shame those seeking it out, the food system colludes to create artificial price points by creating a false sense of scarcity. For example, if everyone knew that the same chicken they had just bought for $15 was being discarded without a second thought, it would certainly lower its value. That food often ends up in a landfill or at a food charity being given out for free. But both of these endpoints help to maintain artificial scarcity. Because people are made to feel like eating from a food rescue or a food charity is something to be ashamed of. Which is a very convenient outcome for the food industry. So in today's show, we will be exploring how that system supports itself on a micro level. How people are often asked to undergo rituals of humiliation just to access the food that the food industry is willingly keeping from us just to keep their prices high. We will do this by exploring how food charities operate on a micro level. Last week, we discussed Feeding America and its control over the excess food stream in the U.S. But where does all that food go? At some point, each cut of steak, each box of bananas, and every carton of milk has to be taken somewhere. Whether that's to fulfill its purpose as food for people, or to end up as a slow source of methane leaking into the atmosphere in a landfill. Today, we have a guest that will help us make sense of how this systemic overproduction unfolds, and show us where those items come to be distributed with no strings attached. My friend and mentor in all things food system related, Kathy Stanley, is the founder of Joy's Kitchen. Joy's Kitchen is a food rescue that does the work of saving and redistributing the food that is willfully overproduced. Implicit in the system that Josh Lone has described last week, in which supermarkets know that they are overordering, is an assumption that there will be an army of volunteers that come to rescue the food. It's a fraught relationship because it relies on the good faith of these small organizations to overcome similar logistical challenges that massive multinational corporations have to put up with. They have to pick up the food and make sure that it can be distributed or refrigerated before it's too late. All of that costs money and requires a lot of people who are willing to do this work.
1: Um, the main focus um, of utilizing those already existing resources is food for us. And it's not only food, but the, that is our main focus. And we do that by i focusing on grocery rescue at a retail level for major grocers in the area, um, mostly in partnership with Food Bank of the Rockies grocery rescue program. So the food ends up at Joy's Kitchen every day. We start with zero and end with zero every day, so that's a really important thing to mention about our program and why it's sustainable in this crazy food system that's been created. Joy's Kitchen Um, is assigned grocery stores. We go directly to the back door of grocery stores. There are existing basic frameworks from Food Bank of the Rockies in their grocery rescue program. We also enable the grocery stores and the back door receivers to donate more and more fluidly in a better organized system that enables the donation program to pull out as much viable food as possible that was slated for waste in that grocery store. 90% of that food is non-compromised, perfectly nutritionally dense, fresh food, perishable food product that needs to get into the hands and mouths of people to be processed instead of going to the landfill if we didn't show up at these spaces, if other agencies and people approved to do this work, if we didn't show up, this food would be thrown in the trash. Actually, a very good example of that is that we were forced to close on July 4th due to backdoor receivers being gone, Food Bank of the Rockies being closed down, Um, not enough volunteer power. I mean, that list goes on and on, but we are forced to close on the 4th of July when we don't show up on that day instead of saving that food for donations or for, for the people. That food is definitely immediately thrown away for lack of storage or program infrastructure in the actual supermarkets. And there's no backup plan. I mean, this corporate complex system it's driven by capitalism, there isn't a backup plan, it's on the backs of, of these entities that have been created to funnel the waste through. Also, there's not a penalty, or any subsequent, any subsequent consequences of that behavior. If that behavior continues, it's just simply wasted. So a normal day for Joy's Kitchen is that my we're, we're very small-staffed. We feed about 5,000 families in the Denver metro and Jefferson County areas a month. That's about fifteen to 20,000 people in those family units receiving food for a week or more. Um, we operate out of a 1,500-square-foot space in the bottom of a church. Because we're extremely efficient with our program and start with zero and end with zero every day, especially with the perishable food, we're able to extract that food in these beautifully maintained programs, a relational impact that my team has, one staff driver goes out every day with a truckload of volunteers that want to be active in in that part of Joy's Kitchen. They start at 730 in the morning. They return with one truck and one trailer from the stores that we have en route for that day. We have um, 22 stores in total a week. And that is what is the bulk of feeding that many families. So that's kind of an idea of how much food is coming out of twenty-two neighborhood stores. And we're not in those specific stores every day. We share those stores with other agencies to feed other areas of Denver. Every rescue averages between two and six thousand pounds of return every morning at eleven thirty. At eleven thirty The volunteers in the building space meet the truck. We have built a very fun community around this, a very intentional, very sweet community that relies on 420 volunteers a month to move this food before it goes to waste through this final process. So my people in the building meet my trucks at 1130. We unload trucks manually with that much weight, down some ramps, we gather, we listen to music, we sort that food in an hour and a half, and then public distribution or boxes are made to go out to those who can't get to us. And we feed the people with no restrictions, no qual- no, no restrictions, no qualifying measures. We take as little data as possible from the people receiving the food, on that basic structure of mutual aid, this this food that was slated for waste should not be governed any further and should be available to the people for the people. And we do that and we clean up our space and we go home. And that's every single day, six days a week, and that's been going on for 11 years.
0: So as Kathy just described, there's a lot that goes into the work of saving excess food. There's a kind of begrudging acceptance that this is what needs to be done to A, feed thousands of people, and B, save the excesses of industry from the landfill. Our guest from last week, Josh Lonis, explained the implications of how this vast system of excess food distribution utilizes free or underpaid labor. If people could understand the role that they play in financially supporting the food system, food bank workers and food rescuers might be able to upend this unjust and environmentally destructive arrangement.
2: Yeah, I think looking at questions of labor in this big, big supply chain—you know, I mean, food banks since then their emergence in the early nineteen eighties, late nineteen seventies to what they are today—is um, you, you have to think about the the labor structures within that and um even within the food banks themselves you know they're the laborers that are paid are often not paid very decent wages they may not have great benefits just to keep the the system running and there but there is this feeling of like well we're doing the good work and we're taking on these sacrifices because we believe in the social mission of of feeding Uh, people but we're seeing rumblings too of like food banks starting to organize into unions the um alameda food bank in, in san francisco has organized and begun to say like hey no there there's a value that we bring to this system and it would be really interesting to see that um happen more across the board um for emergency food workers to begin to understand their value as workers in this broader emergency food supply chain um, and to even demand that that work be compensated by those benefiting from it and so Maggie Dickinson and I wrote an article back in 2019 for civil eats um, that was talking about you know what if emergency food workers that are currently volunteers and by the way many of those volunteers are themselves uh, living in economic precarity right um what if they were paid for this work uh, what would that amount to and we took feeding america's um report of you know how many volunteers they estimated were working across the sixty thousand. Charities across the country and multiplied those hours by $15 an hour, which, you know, um, is kind of the wage that a lot of people are, are fighting for a, as a minimum right now. It came out to almost exactly the level of tax breaks that Feeding America was giving to corporations. It was like $2.2
1: Yeah, it's an it's an interesting thing and when we first formatted joys uh, or when I was putting together the program of joy as somebody who has relied on that bank food banking system to feed my own family with four children in and under poverty level placement I recognize the need for change in that food banking system. The system was very archaic when, when we started to form Joy's Kitchen, and I, and I had been a part of that. I had been degraded to a level of worthiness to receive nutrition to feed my children, even though I was being told, yay, we're going to feed you and your family. We have a solution. Here's a, here's a box of food. I had never experienced an open market where I could pick out things that my family, my cultural background, provided my family with with nutrition for. Um, I was often handed boxes that I had, and I am a really good cook. My my focus and happiness have always revolved around food, but getting boxes of food after having to prove my income level was worthy, that that my assets were worthy, um, oftentimes to. F- to receive food before pandemic um, infrastructures, you had to prove your economics, your assets, and you had to, it was a mandatory thing to sign up for government benefits to receive food to immediately fit you know, hunger, to, to fill hunger. And we wanted to create a program that had none of that because none of that should be around um, receiving food that is literally going to be thrown away and wasted and causes a huge environmental impact. Joy's in, in forming this program, our environmental impact was what we wanted to focus on and that food getting processed through humans and then animals and then compost as a last measure because when you really dig into it further, compost is not the most sustainable thing for all of this food waste. I mean, the, the, the best thing for environmentally is for this food to be processed um through humans and animals as it was intended that's um that's what makes the the impact so in creating the system of no shame we that's why i have a volunteer power of 420 very happy volunteers that show up and labor for this cause because there is no shame in receiving this food we are one community we all do need to eat we all do need nutritious food we all should have access to the gross malfunction of this capitalistic food market there's no reason not to expecting the smaller entities like us to build these programs don't include building programs around breaking down the systematic nature of them Right. And so there is a difference with Joy's Kitchen.
0: I'm going to quickly expand on the idea that people are made to feel shame when accessing food from traditional food charities or food rescues or food banks. It bears stressing once again that all this food would otherwise be headed for the landfill or turned into compost. So there's no reason to make people feel poor as if out of sadism or something akin to it just so that they can access the food. It's a sort of pro-industry mindset that has been drilled into us to think that human beings should humble themselves just to receive the excess from this massive industry. Excess that the industry itself could really care less about other than for making sure that they can keep the illusion of artificial scarcity. To illustrate, one prominent local food charity here in Denver makes all their shoppers meet with a social worker before they can access the food. Ostensibly, this is to make sure that People know they have access to certain benefits or that they can apply for aid, which is good, sure. But implicit in that arrangement is that you have to be poor to go there and get food. And if you are poor, it's just a reminder of that. But there's a sting to constantly making people feel like they're the recipients of charity when in fact they're just doing what's right and eating perfectly good food that needs to be eaten. It's a brilliant move by industry. It makes people feel shame for accessing it. And the shame creates a barrier. It keeps it locked away. I can't tell you how many times I've tried to explain to friends what Joy's Kitchen is, urging them to come get the food, only to have them convey to me in one way or another that they don't need to access that food because they aren't that desperate. It doesn't have anything to do with desperation. It's just there. There's more than enough to go around. This exact conversation, the cognitive dissonance between people and the food that is there for the taking, is exactly why I've made this show. This is all an exceedingly long-winded way to get people out of supermarkets and to the
1: local food rescue. We gather. We're very joyful. Um, We listen to great music. We build an intentional community that's safe for all beings of all different backgrounds. And then every single person that walks through to get food is treated as a guest rather than a client. And every guest is encouraged to dive into the community of joy where they can build more community um, that doesn't have to do with food, social community, um, supportive community with each other. We, uh, we offer volunteerism um, to every single person that, that receives our food. And um, it's our food, it's their food, it's, it's our food. And by doing so, we have a beautiful network of people that really understand Um, how important it is to to change the system. There's a really sad place when very well-meaning, mostly I see it with highly educated people coming to JOY's. There's a lot of reason that people, there's lots of reasons that people come, there's lots of reasons that people volunteer because that food is available to volunteers as well in an organized fashion that makes it as fair as anybody else coming through. And there's lots of reasons, but there's this moment that sticks out with me in a certain kind of realization that I see wipe across people's face, and it's always the point in that conversation with that new person that I ask if they would a hug or a moment just to take a deep breath. And it's that moment of realization that we have been duped That we have been spending a will of our time to be able to survive, to feed our families. And then they realize, oh my God, this isn't only about food. It's about the clothes we wear, it's about the products. So we get lots of products. And that's a whole, I mean, that's a whole show in itself to deal with non food products that are being wasted. But to see the realization of somebody that has faced severe, consequences of not being economically stable and that realization washing across their face that they have been duped that this system is created to created to suppress them rather than feed them is really sad when my father first started writing with me about two years into joys he fell in love with it immediately immediately and just like i did being able to do something tangible about this in a positive direction. And also, yeah, I, I, his reaction when it hit him, what was happening around him, what happened his entire life, he, he definitely was floored. He definitely had to sit down. He definitely had to take a deep breath. He definitely committed his time and his energy from that moment on to making sure that the people around him that were living that way and had lived that way and raised families that way and were raising grandchildren that way and great-grandchildren that way that were literally slaving for a system of depravity he committed his, the rest of his living life to this mission of Joyce and didn't miss a day there were tears i mean there were there were tears of how much money and how much time he had spent trying to feed his family of eight kids and how he had bought into that system so much and how he had always felt compelled to feed other people and to love other people and, and give his money to charities that were doing so, but he didn't realize how easy it was for him to do so and for us all to do so. beating my head up against a wall with holidays um, Joy's has recently in the last since pandemic times have started to close during major holidays um, because it, it, because it's just been so much to stay open and, and to fight that system on our volunteer power um, the holidays produce such an insane surge of what those industries think that the trends are 4th of July, just, just passed, and, and here we are. And we're closed for 4th of July um, weekend. And when we come back, our, our food rescue totals for that first day back were almost triple. First of all, because the relationships that we have built in those stores and those people in those stores that could and do care about saving that product definitely know that we're coming. We're very reliable um, as a pickup agency. And if they were able to go against policy to save that food, they did also the amount of hot dog buns and hamburger buns. And this year it was bison. Bison is coming through and we'll see the waste from the holiday from more sustainably dated product start coming through in about two weeks. And then j- we will just be flooded with whatever that industry market, which I'm, I'm excited to see what it is this year, thinks that we're spending so much of our money on. And um, we will have more of that food product and marketing product than the, the grocery store itself. And because those items are are not slated for discount, I mean, they're holiday. The holiday's over on fifth of July, so we're done. Like those those things aren't slated to be discounted and moved through a complex system. They're they need to get out because that holiday's over, and that monster of a machine needs to put the next thing, the next the next cool thing on the end cap of the aisles. So um, when we had first started Joy's Kitchen, it came through volunteerism, through a very radical older lady who had been in grocery stores way before Feeding America came on the scene to take over those contracts as exclusive contracts for donations. She had built such a great relationship and such a long term standing with some of these backdoor receivers you know they that's another thing like a lot of these people work in grocery stores for the entirety of their adult careers so she had known people in the back door since they were young they recognized that when when the bigger food bank models weren't picking up the food and there there were holes there were days where those trucks weren't coming and also the focus of those trucks coming in at the time and it has changed um, but at the time, those, fo- those trucks were focused on mostly non-perishable food pickups. And she had focused in um, since the early 70s in the grocery store model and had been collecting donations from the back of the stores until Food Bank of the Rockies and Feeding America stepped in to initiate their exclusive contracts and programs for, for the sustainable donation of the food. And so she was still going in. At the time, I didn't know that that I didn't know these systems at all. I had no idea about this. This is not in my background. It was not something that I had planned. So when I went into those stores with her, I didn't know that that, that those laws had shifted and neither did she she had been she was older and she was very out of the loop of all the logistics that were taking place behind in that industry. And so she didn't know the agreements because she's not a formal part of them. Um, But she had been going into grocery stores and I had been rescuing food with her. Her main focus was to drop off that food at other agencies. So she was just a bridge. She just did it on her own. And there was an upset. She I was covering her routes to take the food. I had been volunteering with her, it was before Joyce Kitchen started obviously, but I had been volunteering with her for a couple months and I had was covering her route in entirety where I was met at the back door of one of the grocery stores and very hostily met at the the back door of a grocery store. And I was educated very quickly and very sternly about the laws of food rescue, about taking product out of a grocery store, which does make sense, on a fundamental level that, okay, like, okay, great. How do we do this then? How do we how do we get the, the food out from this grocery store? We've been picking up this grocery store for years and now all of a sudden we can't pick up on these days or we can't pick up the food at all. At that time, I was very sternly taught to buy the store um, and the corporation and, and threatened with legal action um, because I had taken out product from the store, which was perishable food donations the produce department had saved. And that produce on a retail level that I had collected from that specific store was definitely over $1,000 worth of value. I was then remanded and talked to and immediately closed out from all of that grocery store's back doors. We had been extremely effective and liked in the back of the stores. It was very confusing to me very quickly in a matter of moments in the parking lot of that grocery store not being able to pick up that food, that food was being dumped in front of me into a dumpster. Um, In that moment of the rabbit hole I quickly went down. That's when I started learning the rules and understanding the laws around these contracts. People ask me all the time what do you need the most and we definitely need funds, we definitely need tangible funds to put gas into our car to support the five staff that we do pay salary for, um, for building all the other things that come along with that. And you can do that by going to joyskitchenorg org slash volunteer or slash donate.
0: Amazing. And at joyskitchenorg org slash volunteer, you can see how and where to go Yes. and help out yourself.
1: Yeah, that would be great. We'd love to meet you. We'd love to see you. We'd love to build community with, with everybody listening. Also, um, I wanted to mention, we are not government funded at all. We, have, we don't have any kind of granting from any larger entity. We are focused on raising the money to support Joy through the community, for the people, by the people kind of community. And each box of food that currently goes out to a family of four that weighs approximately 45 to 65 pounds, depending, costs about $10 of resources for us.
0: That wraps it up for today. Thank you so much to Kathy Stanley for joining us. Please check out joyskitchen.org and donate. And if you don't live in Denver, try to find a local food rescue around you. I'm sure there's one out there. Thanks for listening. I'm Marcus Puskar. This is Candy Jail.
2: In a candy jail with peppermint bars, peanut brittle bunk beds, and marshmallow walls, where the guards are gracious and the grounds are grand, the warden keeps a data on your favorite brand.